Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is, of course, Canucks insider Thomas Drance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintec.net. And, of course, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Been a few days since we've uh, done the show together in the same place, Drancer. That's true. Feels good. It does. It's nice to see you. Yes. As always, to be honest with you. Well, that's nice. Yeah, I mean, I know you don't feel similarly, but that's okay. That's what makes our dynamic so good. 84 (laughs) years. Not quite that long. Not quite that long. It's felt that long. Uh, Anyway. You know, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. Canucks out at practice. Couple players missing. Yes. Absent with illnesses. One of whom we'll talk about a lot on the show. Yeah. Elias Pettersson. We've got a lot. We got a big show. Big I, show today. I want to note, though, just before okay. we before we get to paying the bills and telling yes, people yes, yes. what we're going to do. Yes. I just want to note Pettersson being absent in the wake of his worst five on five game of the season. Uh, furrow makes my eyebrows furrow. Like, wouldn't now, it make sense that Pedersen wasn't exactly feeling well? Well, a hundred percent. Especially because he had the he missed a practice for illness earlier in the week. Totally right. And and let's be real. Like this guy at five on five this season has been, you know, Godzilla. Yeah. Like legitimately destroyer of worlds. And all of a sudden, for one game, he looks human. And that one game is punctuated by absences illness related absences on either side get well soon Pedersen yes get well absolutely soon. get well so- soon Elias we want to see you do cool stuff yeah we would like that version of Elias Pedersen back uh, we'll talk about that we'll get you the update from practice at some point before we do anything else and Dave Nonis is going to join us later uh, Dmitry Filipovich is going to join us of course as he does on Fridays I don't know we haven't decided what we're going to draft so we need to we need to think of a draft topic for today. So if you have any thoughts, what we should what should be the focus yeah, of our it, draft? Let us know what to draft. Hit us up six fifty six fifty. I also was thinking we should do everything through Christmas. You know, because it doesn't make sense to do the segment with Dimitri next week and just do the game on the twenty third. Sure, there'd only be one game sure. left. So let's just preview all four. All right. Okay. All right. That's what we'll do we'll on do the PDO report. We will do it. Um, before we get to anything else, though, before we get to anything else, I've been hyping it up for a couple weeks, and it is today. It is food. Bank Friday happening right now. We are, of course, raising funds. We've partnered with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Uh, Virtual fundraiser happening right now until 6 p.m. It raises important funds for accessible, healthy, and sustainable food for individuals and families. We have already raised just shy. This was about a half hour ago, actually, so we might already be at $19,000. But as of a half hour ago, we were at right just just below uh, $19,000. And again, we have a donor matching up to the first $45,000. So we've still got uh, a ways to go before we hit that ceiling. We really, really want to get there. Last year we raised, uh, I believe it was $110,000. We would love to beat it this year. We need your help to do it. There's two ways to donate. Uh, you can go to our events page, sportsnet.ca slash 650. The easiest way, though, is you can donate by text by sending an emoji to 30333. To donate $5, it's a carrot. A banana will donate $10. A heart will donate $25. Again, that's 30333. 
Three, the Vancouver Food Bank supports 14,000 people monthly across Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, and the North Shore. 26% of those are children, 14% are seniors. They urgently need cash. They have a buying power of two to one, so your do- donation goes twice as far. And again, you can text an emoji to 30333 to take part in Food Bank Friday today. And I will be getting you updates on our, our latest donation numbers and uh, telling you and asking you if you can, if you are able to donate throughout the show today, because it is a really big event for us. Okay, that's out of the way for now. You mentioned Elias Pettersson. Do you want to start there? Do you want to start with the Elias Pettersson contract talk and the latest from Elias Pettersson's agent? It feels like we should, because that's the biggest, that's, that's one of the biggest stories, even though it's a year out or whatever. I mean, he has one more year left on this one. Negotiations can start this summer. It's not a front burner thing, but it's still one of the biggest stories surrounding this team right now. I don't know that it's not a front burner thing. I, I sort of think it is. I mean, consider the trickle of news from various insiders um, circling uh, around the drama that is the Vancouver Canucks and updating the record accordingly. We have 32 Thoughts, Elliot Friedman, reporting that, you know, of course, the Canucks with uh, the Pedersen extension is already on the organization's mind. Yep. Then we have J.P. Barry going on Donnie and Dolly today and discussing the matter at length, reiterating two important facts right off the hop. One, that the Vancouver Canucks, or or sorry, that Elias Pedersen would like to remain with the Vancouver Canucks. And two, that, you know, he sees the Matt Barzell deal, which is 9.1 times 8, as a comparable. Uh, let, let's hear from him and then we'll get into it. Yeah, they've always been they've always been uh, comps to each other since since day one. Um, they were a comp last time, so I mean, they're, they're, there's differences in their game, but they're you know if you're going to write down six to eight players as comps and age and experience and production, then they're going to be with each other. That is uh, Elias Pettersson's agent J.P. Barry on Donnie and Dolly on Check TV, referring to Pettersson and Matthew Barzell, and he just says, yeah, naturally, they were, they were comps the last time they had to negotiate contracts, and they will be again this time in Pedersen's case. Should be noted, J.P. Barry of Creative Artists Agency is on Pedersen's file, but Pat Brisson also represents the Vancouver Canucks star. So Pedersen and Burnaby Winter Club legend, Coquitlam's own Matt Barzell, comps. Okay, so how close... Are they comps? What does it mean to be a comp? First of all, there's two things. One, we can use comparables as a way of discerning probable market value based on, you know, what similar players or players who produce a similar amount or used a similar way uh, make with other teams, right? That's sort of an intellectual exercise. It it grounds a negotiation. Uh, It's evidence that can be used one way or the other. But ultimately, for a player who's UFA bound, the market will bear what the market will Mm -hmm. bear, right? Um, You know, you can have whomever you want provide like a valuation of your home. But at the end of the day, if the market's hot and there's four or five bidders paying over ask, you're going to get more than that valuation. Vice versa. If your house has been on the market for 90 days, you might not, you might not like ultimately the market will decide it. It means something very different for a player like Pedersen potentially who is arbitration eligible because comps comparables in the context of restricted free agents, particularly restricted free agents with arbitration rights, are, in fact, things that can be produced as evidence in a hearing in which, you know, an award can be handed out by an arbitrator. Now, for a player of Pedersen's caliber, and he's going to have an $8.8 million qualifying offer, um, you know, first of all, you're almost 
surely not going to end up in arbitration. I don't think we've seen a player of that caliber end up in arbitration since Shea Weber, 2010. So we're talking 13 years, like <laughs> awfully long time. I guess P.K. Subban had a hearing. You could say P.K. Subban, but but they ultimately settled yeah. uh, before the rules changed. Uh, now you can't settle after a arbitration hearing's begun. Back then you could. So, you know, a comparable can mean a, a variety of different things in, in hockey parlance. And for Pedersen, it, it's a particularly loaded term because, you know, Matt Barzell being a comparable you'd produce in an arbitration hearing, you know, that's a very different thing than like, that's the market value. Are they comparable is, is sort of like the big question. JP Barry says, yes, JP Barry is right. The man doesn't miss if you're familiar with his work. And here's, I mean, look, both centermen, right. Came into the league one year apart, roughly the same age on the same track in that they both played uh, three years of their entry level deal. Um, after spending a year outside the NHL, right? So debuted at the same age, played their entry-level deals, both won the Calder Trophy, both signed bridge contracts. Those bridge contracts were pretty similar. What's the difference between those bridge contracts? There's what? one notable one. What? Elias Pettersson got paid more. Right? They, these players are comparable, but how are they comparable? Well, they're comparable in that Elias Pettersson has consistently produced more. Right? Matt Barzil, more than anything sets an absolute floor for what Pedersen's next deal will look like, right? If you look at it, Pedersen's produced about 10% more points per game over the course of their similar like similar careers. Barzell has about 60 games of experience on him. And he's produced almost double the rate of goals. And, the, you know, that matters. So if you're playing the comparable game, right, the Barzell comp matters how does the Barzell comp matter? How does it influence talks? Well, it sets an absolute floor under which Pedersen's market value cannot go below, particularly because his his valuation is is pegged as a restricted free agent beginning in the summer of 2024 who's arbitration eligible. Like, you, you present the Barzell comp, and it doesn't even matter what the Canucks counter is. Like, you know, like we saw with Shea Weber, you're not going to, like, meet in the middle if the Canucks ask for 8-6. When he's clearly outproduced the nine point one, yeah, you know, and now, now, granted, it's a little bit um, dicey because Barzell's obviously selling UFA years too, which brings up his valuation. So, the Barzell comp is interesting because it establishes an absolute floor. How does this move forward? Pedersen's got this year left on his deal, after which he becomes extension eligible, so eligible to sign an extension this summer. The Barzell deal again, absolute floor. In talks, Barzell at this point in his career, I like uh, he had a huge rookie season, a massive rookie season, like eighty six points. Right, we all remember it because oh yeah, Vancouver was agitating for Brock Besser to win the Calder. He did not. That was the right call. With what he's done since, however, you know he's been like he's point per game this season, but so are fifty nine other guys, right? Uh, but for the most part, you know, 59 points in 73 games, 45 points in 55 games, 60 and 68, 62 and 82. That's not extremely unlike what Pedersen's done. Also hasn't um, broached the 20 goal mark since his rookie year either and will not again this year, given <laughs> given the pace he's on so far. Correct. Yeah. Whereas whereas Pedersen's going to flirt with 40 this year. Yeah. And that's, and that's, you know, without a power play goal yet. Right? I mean, I, I, I would strongly pick Pedersen to exceed 40 
To, to be to totally see 40 honest. this year? Really? I would, yeah. Wow. I mean, he's on pace for 39. He's on pace for 39, shooting 4% less than his career rate and having not scored a power play goal yet. I don't even think that's a hot take. Like, I don't even think that's, like, bullish. All for, right. For me, that's, like, easy. What he's, If Pedersen's healthy, I'll pick him to, to hit 40. No questions asked. That changes things, right? Especially if you do that in your platform year. Like, if Pedersen can keep up this pace, this level of two-way impact, which also is an area in which he tends to have Barzell beat, right? He drives play in a way that Barzell hasn't traditionally, despite Barzell's league best or second to McDavid <laughs> um, neutral zone impacts. So, if Pedersen goes off for 40 and 95 this year, which is, like, very much in line with what he's on pace to do, if he can just keep up what he's done over 82 and stay healthy. Uh, that changes the the tenor of extension talks. If they can't hammer out an extension prior to his platform season, so a platform season is the year before your contract expires, and it's, again, especially important in the case of RFAs, um, you know, it, it, and he does it again, well, then you're definitely talking about Barzell being, like, a floor and, and maybe no longer a comp. Right. Like then then you're talking about something entirely different uh, for Elias Pettersson. Uh, here's one other way that their bridge deals differed. And this matters too. Uh Pettersson actually has uh, um, their qualifying offer is actually similar. Sorry, that, that's not how they differ. Pettersson's qualifying offer is slightly higher, which does tilt uh, his leverage just a little bit in his favor. They're very similarly structured deals, but because Pettersson's average annual value is higher his qualifying offer is modestly higher so that also is is a factor to account for here right like at the end of the day a you know 9.1 would be a 300k raise over his qualifying offer which he can just accept and walk to free agency yeah three years from now uh so that's another that's another factor coloring this so that's all technical but let's let's zoom out well the one thing i'll say is on okay. the on this question of you know okay they're comparables this reminds me a little bit of the Rupe Hints discussion when he signed his big deal, right? And it was, well, is that a comparable for Bo Horvat? And there were people saying, no, because Rupe Hints is a better player than Bo Horvat. He does all these defensive things better, so they're not comps. Saying that uh, uh, to you know a contract is a comp for another player doesn't mean the players are identical. It doesn't mean they're of identical value. There's no two identical players in the league, right? So yeah, Rupe Hints, it matters for Bo Horvat's contract. It doesn't mean he's going to get exactly that. He doesn't have to be just as good as Rupe Hints for it to matter. And similarly here, Barzell's contract matters, but it's kind of the flip side here. It doesn't mean Pedersen can't get more, right? They can be comps, but Pedersen can still position himself to get more. I, I also think we're using, like, when we're talking about Rope Hints and Bo Horvat, we're talking about UFA valuations. Yeah. So, again, we're using the word comparable to essentially say, like, this is a deal that Im impacts the market value of this player, right? Which, in Rope Hints and Bo Horvat's case, I think is compelling. I think that's correct. I think that the Rope Hints, Hints deal will impact Horvat's valuation uh, in, in extension talks with the Canucks, in extension talks with any team he's ultimately traded to, if in fact it goes that way, in contract talks when he's an unrestricted free agent, and frankly also in terms of how he's valued in on the trade market because of what it means to sign a, a first-line center, what the hints deal tells us about where the not, not just us, but more yeah. importantly NHL executives, about where exactly the market is trending. When we're talking about Pedersen, though, we're talking about something that, you know, w while we're also talking about that, we're also talking about something that can have a more specific meaning, a more loaded meaning. Um, you know, there are comparables that can, in fact, directly impact, regardless of what anyone else says. Like, 
like um, objectively impact his ultimate valuation for the final year before he has, hits unrestricted free agency. So it, it's a good point. With so so I want to zoom out here though, right? With Pedersen and the Canucks, mm-hmm. okay. This is the big one. Like at the end of the day, nothing else really matters. To be totally honest with you, aside from this, I mean, obviously everything matters. It's hockey, right? Marginal value matters. Um, efficient contracts ma- matter. How the club proceeds with Bo Horvat matters. But if your big picture is how does this team win a Stanley Cup, getting the next Pedersen deal right is crucial, right? In, in fact, not having gotten the Pedersen deal right on a bridge deal has colored a lot of my analysis about the lack of cost certainty, about you know how difficult it's going to be to fill out the sort of margins around this team if you're able to lock up Pedersen for something that looks remotely like the Barzell deal even if you're talking about a million dollar premium like forget a 500k premium but a million dollar premium I mean that's a that's a home run then you're only giving Pedersen a two million dollar raise I mean that's a home run in my view like get that done at the on July 1 the moment the market if that deal is there on July 1st you sign it without hesitation without hesitation Especially because I think there's, you know, it tells you that you're able to retain players. It tells you that uh, players are still bought in to this market, despite everything that's gone on with this organization over the past five years. I think it would be a massive deal if you were able to lock that up. Plus, finally, you'd have cost certainty with your core group and also with, um, you know, some regrettable contracts. But nonetheless, you at least understand the parameters that you're going to be coloring in which you know has has really held this organization back in my my view from a long-term planning perspective. It's such an advantage. You know, you might not like the Nylander, Marner, Tavares, Matthews combination. But having that and being like, okay, five-year window, right? We have to rebuild the blue line, we have to build out our bottom six. How do we do it? You have five years to execute, right? Having that window that Florida had, Barkov, Huberto, I always go to these teams. Having <laughs> having Crosby and and Malkin and Latang for the Pittsburgh Penguins, right? Having all, like there's so much benefit in terms of long term cap planning when you have the certainty. It's something that this Canucks team has lacked, and it's something that you know I, I think's been a. I don't think it's held them back by any means, but I think it's created stress, right? When you've had this rolling list of expiring deals right and 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 particularly because the team didn't prioritize getting Hughes and Pedersen done before doing everything else yeah right you you had you were on the back foot always it was like well can we do this in a world where Brock Besser needs a race or can we do this in a world where Pedersen and Hughes are going to you know increase their combined salaries by a factor of eight times right like can we do this with Miller and Bo Horvat expiring or which one do we keep can we keep them both right the ability to have that certainty locked in would be a huge win for the Canucks. So it's good that at last the team is prioritizing the the sort of top line item because this is the top line item, right? The, the con- sort of opposite side of this coin is there's no world where the Pedersen situation plays out in a way that like there's no world where Pedersen not signing an extension early this summer is good for this team, right? The only good outcome is that you get it done relatively quickly. Well, what's one of the questions we get so often when we talk about trading Bo Horvat or making these bold rebuilding The speculative ones. Right? It's, well, is Elias Pedersen going to want to stick around if you do that? If you can remove that 
And I think that's a fair question. I don't think it prevents well, you from making those moves, but I think it's 100% a valid question. If you take that question off the board, so you get you sell your vision to him such that he feels comfortable signing a max term extension and you know then you have the runway okay we can be these we can make these bold moves we can do what we have to do we can maybe take that step back and it's not going to result in our franchise player holding our feet to the fire and maybe even asking out that's huge for the organization one well, and JP Berry alluded to it during the interview today with Donnie and Dolly noting that with Players of Pedersen's caliber, you often do want to know what the organization's plans are prior to signing a long-term pact. So without question, this team's moves, where their feet fall next, perhaps even where their feet have already fallen, will impact the tenor of these discussions. But again, don't get too carried away with like the Barzell deal as an attractive one that you want to see the Canucks mimic, right? That would be great. There's a weak argument for it. The Barzell comp matters, but mostly it matters as a floor. And where Pedersen comes in, particularly if he continue, like if Pedersen was to sign an extension today, which is not even eligible to do, but like on July 1, having just produced at this pace, like say he finishes at 80 points and 35 goals, then Barzell would still represent a floor mm-hmm. in terms of his overall um case like in terms of his his comparable impact on Pedersen would be as a floor Pedersen can still do an awful lot better than that particularly if he's a 40 95 guy with elite defensive impacts the way he's on pace to be to this point this season yeah and that's the you know you made it earlier in the segment as well but the point about the platform year and what that can do for you right Get so it done Pedersen can be you can see them as comps right now but Pedersen obviously has every opportunity to Increase the golf, right, and to to widen the gap between what his deal is going to look like and what uh, and what Matt Barzell's is go- looks like right now. Bet on elite talent under the age of twenty five. Don't bet on non elite talent over the age of twenty eight. These are the rules. They're very simple rules, but these are my rules for like sorting information, right? Like you got to have takes quickly in this business, right? <laughs> is he over twenty five? No. Okay, is he elite? Yes. Okay, bridge deal bad. Long-term packed good, right? Just look at the Jason Robertson mess up. I mean, what a disaster. I know the Stars are really good this year, might win the division for the first time since, what, 2015? Like, for the first time in this sort of era of Stars hockey. They won it, you know, when Jamie Benn's Art Ross season, the the Lindy Ruff era. Um, But, man, that contract is going to hurt them for the rest of this decade. It's unfortunate. The other question that comes in from Ella, and this is one we've got a lot to, we haven't really broached it because I, I think it's it's pretty speculative, but you know, obviously with the Bo Horvat trade rumors, a lot of questions coming in about um, who the next captain of the Vancouver Canucks would be. And, and Ella asks, what about Pedersen as captain? I think he's, from just a purely outside looking in perspective, he's the logical choice, right? As your, your, your number one center, franchise leader, all of that. You can't do that. You can't make that move unless you know he's going to be here. You can't do it going into his final year on a deal if you're unsure that you're going to be able to sign him. So just from that perspective as well, I think it helps you make a really important decision that could potentially be on the horizon for your team. Well, and in in a world where you do trade Bo Horvat, right? Make no mistake. The C or a path to the C becomes part of the conversation. Yeah, hundred percent. Like, that's how it works behind the scenes, right? Like you don't just name a guy captain. And they're like, "Who me? Wow, <laughs> what?" 
there are discussions with his agent. There are discussions with management. I mean, it's it's a thing. It's a thing that plays out slowly. So in, in a world where the captaincy was vacant for the Vancouver Canucks, make no mistake, uh, that might be a chip that you offer as part of the inducement, you know, as part of the pitch overall, as part of your vision of what it looks like for Pedersen to remain in Vancouver through what? How old is he now? 24? So yep. it would be through 28 or sorry, so 34 or something like that if you were able to get a max term deal done, which they should do immediately as quickly as possible. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. We will take a break. Lots more on the other side. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. I also want to give you another Food Bank Friday update. We are just a hair, $50 below $19,000 right now, so keep your donations coming in. Again, it is Food Bank Food Bank Friday, virtual fundraiser all day until 6 p.m. in support of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. We have two anonymous donors matching donations dollar for dollar up to the first 45000 That means when you combine that with the Greater Vancouver Food Bank buying power, you're basically giving $4 for every single dollar you donate. Donations live now. Easiest way to do it is by text. You send an emoji to 30333. A carrot is $5. A banana is $10. And a heart is $25. So, again, if you can, uh, please consider doing that. The number is 30333. It's a carrot, a banana, or a heart. Um, I did want to get into this. We won't spend too long on it, I don't think. Although, knowing us, who knows. Uh, because it is something we have actually talked about on the show and that you have reported before. But we are getting lots of texts about it as well, Dranther. So I do want to, uh, I do want to mention it. And it is uh, some reporting that your colleague, Pierre Lebrun, did, uh, really affirming, I would say, uh, again, some things that you've reported about Bo Horvat, which is specifically what the Can- Canucks might be looking to acquire if they do, in fact, trade their captain. And the, the easiest way to distill it is... Always nice, though, to have additional verification yes. from someone as reliable and plugged in as Pierre Lebrun, right? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, and Pierre's the best... Um, despite being a Dallas Cowboys fan. <laughs> so, um, yeah, Pierre has a new article up at The Athletic. Go check it out at theathletic.com slash Canucks. Um, but he really gets into the weeds, um, elaborating on something, you know, Dollywall and I fleshed out and, and that I've re- been reporting for a couple of weeks here about what the Canucks are looking for in exchange for Bo Horvat. And, you know, he notes that he's a little bit surprised that the Canucks wouldn't be after Futures. Surprised is a is a tactful way of putting it <laughs> about, you know, that, that really what Vancouver is looking for is young players like they're looking for a hockey trade. They'd be looking for a center. This team needs center depth. They need a right handed center and a defenseman, ideally a right handed defenseman. Like that's really what they are hoping to land a piece or two in exchange for Bo Horvat, should he continue to be dealt, should he continue to remain without an extension, uh, which, you know, I, I mean, I've been captioning this as the most likely outcome. In my opinion, that's true. Uh, obviously, it needs to be qualified with, hey, this organization never really trades its stars for, for a big return. They might walk, but they don't often get dealt. So I understand everyone's skepticism. I still think it's trending in that direction. 
There's been some reaction, like some age gap reaction. I think there's some like age gap trauma <laughs> in this market because of the fact that while the Canucks were rebuilding over the course of the past decade, they continually spent futures to, you know, uh, get players who are like closer to being able to contribute. You know, you think Lyndon Bay, Emerson Edom, Andre Padan. Yeah, but with much lower ceilings. Adam Clendenning, Sven Berchi, Marcus Granlund. I mean, you can go on. Et cetera, et cetera, uh, I actually et cetera. think I actually think I nailed most of the list. Yeah. Is there anyone else? Uh, I don't know, probably, but Linden Bay is the one that always comes to mind. We're going to be aggressive. <laughs> like the prototypical age gap player See, to me. For me, for me, it's, was it Shinkarik for Granlund? Yes. Yeah, that one. I Like, even though Shinkarik didn't pan out, like, there was goal scoring upside there, right? I mean, sometimes a guy doesn't make it, but what they could be is still greater than the guy who gives you 200 NHL games and is best remembered for, you know, being a body of water. Right. Um, so in terms of that side of it, like I understand now here's where, you know, I've been thinking about this a little bit. We had a text into when Lena and I were doing the mailbag yes. while you were absent. We had a text in and someone asked me to like account for all the players I'd been wrong about <laughs> and wanted to discuss Connor Garland, who's who they, you know, in their formulation isn't good. Brock Besser, who continues to struggle. Right. Um I think Niels Hoaglander was on the list, and then I think uh, there was someone else. Maybe it was Riley Stillman. They said, sure. I said that Riley Stillman should be extended. I, I mean, look, Riley Stillman's a guy I worked with. I, I think I was far more uh, effusive about his character than about his play. Oh, no, they, they Ethan Bear, because I carved the Ethan Bear acquisition saying it didn't move the needle, um, You know, which I still believe, even though I've, uh, I like the player a lot. I like the player a lot when he was acquired. I thought that was a good deal to add value to the organization that doesn't mean that I thought you know that uh, that doesn't mean that I think you can fix the right side of the defense in this manner sure. right like that, that anyway whatever I'm not willing to I'm not willing to there's a there's a show I listen to it's called uh, establish the run as a fantasy football podcast and they have this thing called capitulate uh-huh. you have to capitulate when you are wrong I am not prepared to capitulate on any of these like Connor Garland is good Brock Besser is also good in my opinion I know it's been a struggle this season in terms of his two-way play, but I still I still buy Brock Besser as a useful piece. Um, Niels Hoaglander is very good. Like, come on, come on. Do you know? Do you know the thing about Niels Hoaglander that everyone ignores? It's like people are so excited about some twenty-two-year-old right-handed defenseman like who's scoring a little bit in the SHL, right? And they're like, this guy, this guy. Niels Hoaglander has stuck in the NHL. In his age 19, 20, and 21 seasons, okay, he's produced at, at a clip of 30 points per 82 games with no power play time at the ages of 19, 20, and 21 in the NHL. Like, yep. do you know do you know the type of profile of a player that might level up massively once they hit their prime seasons, which Hoaglander won't even, like, enter for another year or two? That profile, like, that's a profile you bet on before they hit. That's what I've been trying to say. Anyway, whatever. I'm not willing to capitulate on any of those, but but I was thinking about it. At the end of the day, I'm going to miss obviously on some individual players cuz I'm not a I'm not a talent guy. I'm not a evaluator. I know what I like. I think mm. I can tell a good player from a, a not good player. I know how to watch practice. But like what I really think I understand, like where I don't miss often is the big picture schemes, like the big picture stuff, the cap stuff, the big picture hockey strategy stuff. Like that's what I know far better i know the theory 
I don't know necessarily how to like watch the world championships and be like, you know, that Niels Amon could be an everyday player for us in the NHL this season. Like that's, that's what scouts do. That's what people with totally different specializations, hockey people are better suited to do. It's also really tough by the way, because even the smartest people in the world at it, get it wrong. Well, for sure. But, but nonetheless, there, you know, I think one thing you could say about this management group, and I've often said they found good hockey players, right? Like I like that they found good hockey players. I'm not sure they've nailed the big picture stuff. And I so I, and I think that skepticism is shared by the market. And I think the reaction to LeBron's reporting today really captures that, right? There's a lot of fans who see this as being a direct line from how Benning tried to do it during the rebuild to this, right? Like, why is this organization so insistent on trying to find every shortcut? And I think that's a totally valid frustration for fans in this market to have. All of that said... You know, if you identify better players than Emerson Edom and Lyndon Bay, I mean, it's not that it can't work. Well, yeah, and that's that's what gets my reaction on this is, in theory, if the the main piece you get back for Bo Horvat is a 24-year-old centerman, I don't have a problem with that if it's the right player, if there's appropriate value there. My problem is approaching it such that you think – that has to be what we get back. That shouldn't be the priority. The priority should be maximizing long-term value for your team, whether that's a first-round pick, whether that's a prospect who's not in the NHL, whether that's a young roster player, right? That should be the priority. I think once you kind of box yourself into the frame of reference of, okay, well, we have to check these two boxes, you're just dramatically limiting your options for a trade at that point. That That's going to satisfy that for you. Also, you're unlikely to get the sort of cost-controlled assets from the teams most likely to be the most in to paying a premium rental price for a Bo Horvat, right? So all of a sudden, you're dealing with a far more complicated equation overall. Um, you know, I, I mean, it's it comes back to my old cash-in-hand versus gift card theory, right? Like, if you want to get win-now pieces, get draft picks, not because you want to use those draft picks, but because draft picks plus cap space is your best method. Like, that's what contending teams, shopping good players, want when they're shopping those good players. Like, yeah. that's how you get Well, especially if you're not just talking Arvidsson, about... Devon yeah. Taves, like, uh, Fiala. Like, that's how you get those pieces. Period. And, and especially when we're talking about this Canucks return, it's one thing to be talking about like Braden Schneider, right? Who's kind of who was just breaking into the NHL and really still on an entry himself. level deal, and doesn't score enough to be uh, worth a big second contract. So he's actually probably cost controllable for longer than his ELC. But if you're talking about like a 24 or 25 year old guy, like a like a Jas Ro- Jack Roslovic, yeah, I mean, is a real contender going to give that player up? in the to to acquire a rental that that's where it's a sticking point for me like how available are those players even realistically going to be if you're talking about a rental trade for, for Horvat aren't you better off aren't you better off getting you know a, a first round pick and then using other picks to make your version of the Bjorkstrand trade right like isn't that the way to do it that's that's my theory on it anyway I I, I think futures are the way to go because teams are going to be far more willing to pay more in futures than they are, particularly the teams most likely to see Bo Horvat as having like massive marginal value to their cup chances for this season. Uh, they're going to be far more willing to part with significant futures than they are with significant players now. And so, you know, again, I think there's... You can pull this off if you land the right guys. 
This organization, this management group, has shown that they can identify good hockey players. But the big picture theory, the one that fans are reacting negatively to, I think they're right to be skeptical, to be totally honest with you. I think this would be a missed opportunity. If the Canucks were to deal Bo Horvat and to do it in a hockey trade, to me that would be a massive missed opportunity to clear clear the books, like clear cap space and net assets and build build like the the surface area required, right? Like that's the way to think of it. It's like to increase your chances to leap on the next John Marino opportunity, to leap on the next, you know, whatever. I mean, again, we see these trades three, four times a year. Bjorkstrand, Marino, uh, Taves. Like we see these deals happen a lot, right? We know what they look like. You want to increase your odds of, of making that deal. You got to have a lot of cap space. You got to have a lot of bullets in the chamber in terms of future assets. That's what this organization should be prioritizing building. Um, but, you know, I've only been saying that for two years. Uh, the win now pieces, I'm skeptical about it. But again, I also think that you got to note it in fairness. It mustn't be noted. Hey, like, you know, it seems like Alvin and company have done a pretty good job finding these marginal uh, pieces elsewhere that that have provided more in Vancouver than they did elsewhere. Yeah, again, it, it could absolutely work out. It just to me, it feels like why not cast a wider net? Why not cast the widest possible net looking for value out of Bo Horvat? Well, it comes back to the Bo Horvat extension thing. Like, could Bo Horvat age like Joe Pavelski? Sure. Is it likely? No. Right? Like, play the play the percentages. Play the odds. Yeah. You know? And the other thing, to echo something I said, um, by the way, there's <laughs> there's a bowl game on right now with the incredible score of 2 nothing at the start of yeah. the second quarter, which well, is just phenomenal. What's, am- what's amazing is that they're both uh, rouges. <laughs> this, this just, uh, that just completely interrupted my train of thought looking at it right Super now. Fair. But anyways, what I was going to say, echoing something I said yesterday on the show if you convince yourself that you have to get either this, you know, ideal 23 to 26 year old right shot defenseman or 23 to 26 year old perfect top six centerman to replace Bo Horvat, it feels like a prelude to talking yourself out of trading Bo Horvat. Because when that doesn't materialize, you turn around and you say, well, you know, we didn't get the value. We didn't get the pool. We didn't get the pieces we need to make the trade. I guess we're better off keeping them. Well, maybe, again, maybe that's irrational. Maybe that's conspiratorial thinking on my part, but it just seems like part of the process that leads you down that road. Falling in love with a deeply specific type of return that could be very, very difficult to actually get. As opposed to just mining max value. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. I think it, you know what you know what it is? It feels like a passive approach as opposed to the sort of active, um, bold uh, plan to restock the decks and do it quickly enough that you don't burn Pedersen and Hughes' primes, right? Which has always been the task at hand for this management group. And, and, you know, it's a task that they've taken a conventional approach to solving, right? Let's get better on the margins. Let's get better on the third pair. Let's bring in the second pair defenseman. Maybe this guy could be a, a useful bottom six forward. And they've done that pretty well. But they certainly haven't taken the approach of let's give ourselves as much weaponry as we can. Let's create as much flexibility as we can. Let's be super aggressive in doing so so that we're ready to pounce when the opportunities come at, uh, come, you know, become available um and i mean they tried like they were in on marino sure um you know i, I think pittsburgh preferred the new jersey prospect and uh, you know the canucks lost out on a player who would be making a huge difference for this team right now i mean could you imagine having marino and bear oh my goodness like that's massive then then we're then we're, then we're starting to talk about a team that could be pretty interesting you know like then then 
I'm beginning to change my tune on a more regular basis and not just because the Canucks finally managed to put together a decent effort in Calgary. You know, I, I mean, isn't that what we want? Like, is, Anyway, whatever. Uh, I don't love the approach. I don't love the approach. It, it, I, if it makes you nervous as a Canucks fan, it makes me nervous as a Canucks analyst. Um, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. Uh, 650-650, the Dunbar Lumber text line. We'll continue that conversation later in the show if we have time. But I do want to talk a little bit about uh, the Canucks getting back on the ice at UBC. Of course, no Patterson, no Besser, both not feeling well. But before we talk about any of that and looking ahead to the Winnipeg Jets, let's hear from Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux after the team practice. Just weren't feeling well. Again, Bess still not feeling well from the other night. Petey wasn't feeling well, and I just thought it would be better to get away from the guys. You know, he'll... He'll be at morning skate. He'll be fine tomorrow. Sustainability is such a big thing in this game. Bruce uh, Hoaglander was so noticeable in Calgary. What does he have to do to keep that going and really keep his trust in him? Well, I think the same thing. You know, I mean, it's uh, I got trust in all of them, and it's it, he plays that way. Like we played with the energy. He was very noticeable out there. You know, what I mean, and uh, uh, we f- we feel he's got that capability to do that on a daily basis. When you have a lineup played that well that night, is it a tendency to keep it together, even though, you know, best Well, you'd, 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 you'd like to think that, but, I mean, we don't know who's going to be healthier, or who's going to be sick, or who's not going to be, so we'll see how it goes tomorrow. Would you like to, uh, the last two periods, especially the other night, I thought defensively the guys were really sharp. On the road, you've tended to play a little better that way. How do you, how do you bring that kind of style home with you? Well, you just keep repeating it as a coach that, that's the way we want to play, and you keep repeating practices might get dull and boring, but it's if you're doing the same thing all the time, then hopefully you get to learn those habits and you do them on a consistent basis. You have success like that, though, you would hope. You'd hope I that hope success breeds success, you know. I think that last 40 minutes, including the overtime, is that the best? I mean, you didn't give up the goal, but do you think that's the best your team has played defensively? I mean... I, you know, and I'd have to go back and think, but it was as good as we've played. I mean, I thought we played pretty good against Pittsburgh and, you know, in L.A. Uh, defensively when we didn't give up much. But, I mean, that's a tough team to beat in Calgary. And uh, I thought I thought we played them pretty even the whole way, So especially the last two periods. What about him? What is he doing lately? I think he's competing harder. He's harder on the puck all the time. He competes hard all the time. But, I mean, he's just, I think a lot of it has to do with confidence. You know, when you feel it, uh, and he's feeling it a lot better about himself. And when you do that, you play, uh, you know, you have the puck on a string a little bit more because you believe that you're going to make a good play. I think earlier, sometimes he doesn't didn't have the confidence in his game, and, and that goes with anybody if you don't have the confidence in your game then uh, uh, you know you start um, slipping a little bit I know he was a, a spot filler today as a forward but what is Travis Dermott's status now is he a coach's decision is he not still yet a, not yet yeah yeah he's still in protocol I mean uh, I mean if today's Friday if all goes well I think uh, he gets another appointment this weekend, and then we'll see how it is after that. 
That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreau after the team practiced at UBC today. And again, addressing the absences of Brock Besser, who of course missed Calgary, uh, the Wednesday's game on in Calgary, and, and Elias Patterson from practice as well today. Swatting away a lot of praise from the pool about the Canucks defensive play in Calgary. Yes. Lots of questions about one solid defensive game against a team that's struggled mightily to score this season. And I thought it was also interesting... Like, the Calgary Flames are second to last behind the Anaheim Ducks in goals for. I, I mean, look, the, I I've, I said it at length on Thursday. Like, I liked the Canucks game, too. But, like, let's not get ahead of ourselves in terms of the lockdown nature of this Canucks team. Yeah. Also, Calgary did still have plenty of chances. Plenty of I chances. <laughs> Anyways. Um, the other thing that stands out there is just the comments about the availability, not just about Besser and Pedersen, but just kind of generally. Well, we'll see who's healthy. We'll see who's healthy tomorrow. Clearly, when they play the Jets, yeah. I mean, look, every every hockey team gets the flu at some point in the year, and we all know how tough this flu season's been for anyone with children, in particular. I, I can attest to that. I know you can. <laughs> I have two kids in daycare, and boy, oh boy, it feels like dodging bullets sometimes. Oh yeah, trying to stay healthy, trying to keep everyone healthy. I have no idea how I have not gotten sick considering the time we spend together. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I, I should knock on some wood. We must be here. doing something yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, just to give you, I mean, you really <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> you, you really can't read anything into these combinations, given that there was no Patterson, no Besser. But here is how they lined up at UBC. Miller playing center between Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. So again, right there. I mean, that's basically Patterson's absence uh, leading to that one. Hoagland. I got time for that line. I'd have fun watching that. Well, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. I, I don't know that I would be making that switch if Elias Pettersson is available, but if he's not, sure, why not? I think Pettersson can play with anybody right now. Hoaglander with Horvat and Lazar, Joshua Dries and Garland, and Travis Dermott playing left wing with Neil Zaman and Jack Stadnika on the fourth line. You know, I still want to see Dakota Joshua play up the lineup. Let's get into that uh, at some point. Uh, but that's probably a next week thing, but just really quickly. No, we can do it here. Okay. Dakota Joshua actually scored at a pretty high clip in the NCAA. When he was uh, in Ohio State, he was a black guy. There you go. You know they have the cool helmets, like the NFL, uh, like the uh, college football, the football players. team. Yeah. yeah, very cool. So he actually scored a good clip, and then he turns pro, and he really doesn't get a ton of AHL games because the pandemic shuts it down, and he spends a bunch of time on a taxi squad. And so it's like, you know, to some extent, we don't really know what Dakota Joshua's production would look like. If he'd played, you know, I, I mean, I have sort of a, a hard and fast, you know, well, sorry, not a hard and fast, a quick and dirty 0. 0.07 or sorry, 0. 0.7. If you hit 0. 0.7 points per game in the American League under the age of 25, I tend to think you have enough offensive upside to be more than a fourth line player, right? Like maybe you could score enough to contribute in, in, in a club's top nine. And we just don't really have the sample of AHL games from Joshua to kind of know that, right? Like he only played 71 games in the American League across three years, right? Uh, some some of the time, um, you know, he, he plays the first year he turns pro, also spends some time in the ECHL. Then he's in the Utica Comets organization, like while they're not even a proper, you know, they're not even a full blues. Yeah. Um, affiliate it's shared with the Vancouver Canucks then you know he spends some time in Springfield and actually is super productive last year but like we don't have a, a lengthy sample of games and certainly the AHL wasn't like normal his experience his development experience wasn't normal we've seen him show some good hands in tight we've seen him show 
some good instincts even on the power play. Like there could be more there and we just haven't had an opportunity to see it because of how broken the development model and development paths became during the course of the pandemic. I'm I'm for that reason alone and also what I've seen how good he is on the forecheck like I'd be interested to see what Joshua could do playing with a guy like especially a guy like Garland yeah that that to me would be interesting to at least get a look at well the goal scoring stands out but I think his playmaking instincts have been really impressive for a a bottom of the lineup player as well he's a good player yeah he is I I think we'll see that at some point this season 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line Dave Nonis former Canucks general manager is up next it's Canucks talk Sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, final hour of the week. Dave Nonis will join us momentarily here, former Canucks general manager. Quick update on Food Bank Friday. We are up over $19,000, $19,200 as of about 15 minutes ago. So keep those donations coming in. Again, it's a text to 30333. You text an emoji. A carrot is $5, a banana is $10, a heart is $25. Donations open until 6 p.m. tonight, and we do have two anonymous donors matching donations dollar for dollar up to the first $45,000. So when we get to that point, boom, we're right up to $90,000. We need your help to do it. You can text an emoji. Again, carrot for $5, banana for $10, heart for $25,30333. It is Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com, live from the Kintech studio, and now very pleased to be joined by our next guest once again on the show. He is former Canucks general manager, longtime NHL executive, Dave Notice. Dave, thanks as always for making time for us. How are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? We're doing very well. Always, uh, always happy to chat with you on a Friday, and man, there is never any shortage of front office related subjects to get into when it comes to the Vancouver Canucks and you know this week we saw the week really started with reports about the state of the Bo Horvat contract negotiations uh, reports being made in the media and you know I was just curious about your perspective on when things like that do get out what kind of impact can it have on negotiations between a team and a player and, and how did you handle it as an executive when these details started getting out in the media? Well, from my standpoint, you you always like to keep it as close to in-house as you can, you know, understanding there is a a hungry media and fan base that wants to know as much as they they can. So you can't dodge all the questions, but I think you can answer them in a way that um, provides a little bit of information and and doesn't put too much on the table. You know, for example, you can say that we're progressing or things things are going slowly, but when you get into the nitty-gritty, uh, it can impact the negotiations. There can be a little bit of uh, maybe animosity or distrust that can develop between the, the, the club and the player and the agent. Dave, there's also reports, and these are coming out just today from uh, my colleague Pierre Lebrun. So, uh, you know, not not pulled from the ether exactly, one of the most reliable people in our business. Uh, talking about, you know, what the Canucks are looking for and and specifically that they'd prefer a hockey trade as opposed to futures. How do you gauge 
for a team like Vancouver where you've got some good young pieces, but clearly uh, a supporting cast that needs to be upgraded, how do you gauge the value of making a hockey deal versus sort of uh, getting futures, particularly given that, you know, in, in this hard cap era, right, the best teams aren't liable to part, uh, or at least not easily, with cheap labor? Yeah, you know, there's a couple things when you look at, and again, I agree with you, Pierre is usually pretty pretty well plugged in, so I, I'm not disputing what uh, what he reported, um, but there there is a little bit of gray area when you talk about futures or a hockey trade. You know, I don't know what Vancouver is looking for, but a hockey trade could still include a, 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 an established or close to being established younger player mm. uh, as opposed to a prospect, a bunch of picks, things like that. I think you can still look to um, to lower the age uh, and possibly the price tag of your team and still uh, still have a hockey trade as part of that. I I think that's probably very likely, you know, what uh, what Jim and Patrick are looking for in terms of putting pieces back, you know, onto their reserve list and, and onto their roster. With So with a player like a Bo Horvat, I mean – we're talking about a pretty rare commodity, right? A 58% winning face-off guy who's top five in the league and scoring at the moment. Um, not often that a player like that becomes available. Can, can you even think of an example? I mean, does it go back to Doug Waite since we saw a center like this traded as a rental in season? Yeah, it probably does go back that far. I mean, there's a lot of good players that get, you know, that get traded, um, uh, at various times of their career, you know, again last year, Hampus Lindholm got traded. Mm. I think he was an outstanding defenseman, top four, but probably not at the same level as you're talking. Like this, this trade here, I think is one step above that. So uh, there's there's not a lot to get traded during the year, um, and, or even at the deadline, quite frankly. Uh, so I, I think that if this does turn into a, a so somewhat of a bidding war, it'll be very interesting to watch and see what's put on the table. Uh, for this player if, in fact, it gets to that point. If the Canucks are looking for more of that kind of prototypical hockey trade, does that make it more difficult to find the value they're looking for, right? Because you're not just talking about you know draft picks, which are somewhat interchangeable. You're really looking for a specific t- player or, or two players uh, that fit your vision. And you know, teams that may be interested in, uh, in trading for Bo Horvat might not necessarily have those guys that they're able to give up to acquire him. No question, and and you're right. Sometimes, if you're looking for a younger player that's playing in the league right now, those are those are a pretty valuable commodity yeah. as well, which you know, which you referenced in terms of the of cost certainty. You know, most most of those players haven't turned you know their their contracts around yet and are earning excessive amounts. So, uh, a lot of teams, particularly teams that are are challenging or think that they have a chance to win, if they've got one or two of those guys on the you know on their roster, it allows them to keep the higher paid players uh, along with them. So you're very, uh, very correct in your assessment, I believe, in that if that's what they're looking for and trying to get some younger players as opposed to just picks, um, I, I think it will, it'll, it'll make it very difficult to make that deal. And I think teams that want to make it are going to have to swallow hard uh, and, and trade a, maybe a player that they really don't want to trade. It's going to be fascinating to watch it play out. One other thing that this market is talking about a fair bit is Elias Pettersson reports this week from Friedman, Elliot Friedman, that um, 
extending him, he becomes eligible for an extension on July 1st, is going to be a top priority and something that's already on the minds of Canucks Brass, uh, his agent appearing on a Vancouver television station this week uh, to note that they'd be open to discussing it too in the event uh, that the team showed that interest. What value, Dave, just, just sort of hypothetically, big picture, what value is there in locking up a core group with like term and so you have that cost certainty in a hard cap system well the value there's there's two ways of looking at that um the value you put one thing in there's cost certainty Mm. and teams that lock up players uh, that they think their trajectory is is upwards and continues to be upwards uh think that at the tail end of that contract uh they'll be getting a bit of a so-called bargain that makes some sense if the player it definitely is on that trajectory and in particular if the cap continues to grow right um we've been in an environment where the cap's been fairly flat you know for obvious reasons the last couple of years and it's been very difficult for uh teams to maybe do that as often as they would like i still think it's a sound move as long as the dollars make sense and the players um the player's value in terms of his performance, you can extrapolate that out six, seven, eight years and say, yeah, he's still going to be able to play. So um, I think it's going to continue to, it'll continue to happen if the cap continues to go up and we do see a bump of next year of three or four million. Um, I think you'll, you'll see it even more. Dave, is it tricky in a cap system when you don't have that, when you have players, your best players uh, sort of, you know, told so that they're expiring, you know, one, one year, one, the next year, one, the year after that. Um, is it tough to upgrade your supporting cast around a group of star players who, you know, uh, based on that description are, are going to be getting sort of progressively more expensive? It can be, you know, I, I think that, listen, if the star star players always looking to maximize and set a new bar and the club is willing to do that with three or four guys, um, then I think it's going to become very difficult to remain competitive and have a chance to win. Mm. I don't think there's anything wrong with paying players a fair amount, but let's try to make it at the low end of fair. And the teams that have had some success, they've been able to do that. You know, the contracts have been reflective of the players' performance, uh, and it's been respectable for them, but they haven't really went out and set new records uh, in doing it. So you look at you know look at some of the teams that have have built strong cores. Yes, those players are 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 highly paid um but they've left enough room to to put some other players around them in order for that club to have success talking to dave nonis former canucks general manager here on canucks talk sportsnet 650 and you know one of the other fascinating things for me dave about the potential of a a elias Pettersson extension maybe this summer is you know, it's obviously with any contract, right? The the money, the term, the structure, they all have to be there. You have to reach agreement on those. But with a player like Elias Pettersson, I think that the, the direction of the team also enters into it, right? And we've heard Elias Pettersson uh, during his last contract talk say, you know, he really wants to play for a winning team. And, you know, if a team like the Canucks, we're not exactly sure which direction things are headed. How do those conversations play out when you are dealing with a player of Elias Pat- Pettersson's caliber? When, you know, it's not just the money and the term that you have to get right, but you also have to sell the player on your vision for the team to a certain extent. Well, I think for more and more players, that's the case. You know, I think it's the case when you have high-end players like Pedersen, they want to, you know, if they're going to lock in for seven or eight years and you look at his age, you know, he's going to be a, 
at a at a peak part of his career if he signs a long term deal, uh, they're going to want to lock in with a team that that has a chance to win at some point. So that's not um, something that's irregular or I think uh, an unrealistic ask by the player. Um, you know, with players that are are unrestricted, same, those same questions come. You know, you if you're trying to get a free agent to come to your your club, they're going to want to know what exactly are you going to do besides signing me. Um, you know, I had an example. We, we signed Roberto Luongo. He didn't have. You know, he, he was one and out. If we didn't, if we didn't extend him, uh, he would have been a, a UFA. And we spent a reasonable amount of time with him and his family, trying to lay out what the club would look like and what we wanted to do. And I think that's a reasonable request for a player that's signing at uh, you know at a time in his career where where the best years are are coming, uh, upcoming and. They want to make sure they have a chance to win. So I, I think that's a, a regular occurrence in today's NHL, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Dave, when you became general manager in Vancouver, Marcus Nasland was captain. Uh, on the last game that you were general manager of, Marcus Nasland was still captain. So you didn't manage uh, uh, replacing a captain in this market, but you've been part of this organization for many years before that and obviously parts of uh, other organizations since. In, in a world... Obviously, I'm asking this because uh, of the Bo Horvat sort of talk in this market, and we all know Bo, Bo Horvat wears the sea here. But just, just in terms of the big picture, what goes into naming a captain for an organization in the event that there's a vacancy? Well, I think there's a, there's a lot that goes into it, and and I think that clubs often, not often, but some clubs make the mistake of feeling like they have to name a captain right away. And it doesn't mean that you don't have a, a, a an individual that might be a great captain on your team, but there might be a situation where they haven't developed enough or they've been, you know, they've been operating underneath a captain that casts a pretty big shadow. So um, if you have a player or players that you think uh, might be a good captain material, but they're not ready, there's nothing wrong with going without one for a, you know, for a period of time until you have one. Just naming one uh, so you have some more of the C, I think, is, is really it's irresponsible. But you want to have a player that uh, leads by example, has the respect of all the players that are in the room, uh, is not afraid to make bold statements to his, to his teammates, uh, and shows the appropriate respect to, to the, the staff uh, and the fan base. So um, not everyone falls into that category. It's, it's hard to find a, a, a captain in today's game that's, that's willing and able to do those things. So uh, it's often a, a situation where you have to take your time, evaluate with your coaching staff. You have a core group as well. And you can, you know, you can gauge not who should be captain, but just to gauge the, the pulse of the room. Uh, then you make a determination if you have that right person on your roster. Could you, not could you, have you ever seen a situation where there was a captain's uh, vacant captaincy and perhaps a player that was being discussed uh, in, in terms of an extension, like what their next deal might look like um, talking in the, in the frame of Roberto Longo, not that he would have been named captain. Uh, well, I guess he was, but in terms of the, uh, in terms of discussing a contract with a star player while also having a vacancy at captain, could you ever include that? in terms of your vision to them in communicating what to expect from the team in their tenure? I would never do that, mm. but I, I think you can lay out a situation where you, where you 
tell that player how they fit in and where you think they would have the most impact. And part of that would be leadership. If you're, you know, if you're trading for a player or if you're bringing in a player, especially as a free agent, you have a chance to talk to them. Um, you know, that's something that you, you could lay on the table, which is we, we understand, we can tell by the way you play uh, that you have leadership abilities. And that's something that we, we, you know, we we really need with this organization, and, and we expect you to fill a little bit of a role. But in terms of promising a captaincy, I don't think that's something that that uh, I would do. Do you mind if I uh, pick it that, Dave, and just ask you why not? Why specifically you would avoid taking that course of action? Yeah, sure. I, I think you can you can think that this player might be the captain when you bring him in, but you also want to you want to see how the the player fits in with the group and in fact if he does check off all the boxes i talked about you can think that that's going to be the case and and you're probably right 80 90 percent of the time but i think the last thing you want to do is bring someone in uh into a team that has some other veterans some other players that have been there a long time that may have been you know good leaders themselves and then bring in a, a guy just make them captain without um seeing how they fit in i, I i'm sure there are, are a couple of players and instances where that would probably change my mind. But overall, I think in terms of players that are available for the most part, uh, I would like to see them, how they fit in before that, that occurred. Dave, one other thing in relation to Elias Patterson, uh, we, we heard his agent JP Barry today in the market say that, or acknowledge that, you know, Patterson and Matt Barzell are pretty good comps for each other. And, you know, we all know what Matt Barzell signed for, and that got people thinking about what Elias Patterson's next extension or next deal could look like. And just, you know, not on that situation specifically, but in general, in your time as an executive and general manager, how did you approach and use the idea of comparable contracts and comparable players when you were negotiating with players? Well, comparables are, are different for every, every um, status of player. Uh, you know, and for players just coming into the league, you're you're really talking about draft position for the most part. You know, one, two, and three are going to get similar contracts to one, two, and three from last year. Restricted free agents are going to be able to sign uh, if they have arbitration rights. They're going to be able to compare themselves to every other player on the comp list, and uh, those players have to sign Group Two contracts. They have to be under contract at the time. Uh, so you can look at those those numbers, the you know the general stats that are accepted, and you can you can create a, a pretty pretty good range in terms of the high and low contracts where the player is going to sign. Uh, UFAs are are a whole different animal. That's really yes, you, you will you know you will compare to other players that have signed in the UFA market. Another 28 year old that scored 40 goals last year, he got eight and a half million. Yeah, that's going to be the case but you're not bound to anything in terms of, of the comparables. So the group twos are the ones like Pedersen would fall into that category. I would mm. say where he can be able to compare himself to other players uh, with similar experience, with similar stats. And you look at those contracts and you're going to be able to come up with a pretty accurate number. Dave, uh, I just got to ask you, since we talked about comparables in, in the context of arbitration, were you in the hearing where uh, Brendan Morrison was compared to a mouse riding on the back of uh, two elephants? I was. <laughs> can, can, can we hear the story from your perspective? Yeah. Well, again, arbitration is a different, it's a little bit different <laughs> system as well. But the, 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 our, our lawyer presented a case that uh, he told the story of an elephant and a mouse. And, and they were crossing a, a bridge, uh, a rope, a roped bridge. And 
the the mouse asked if he could take a ride uh, with the elephant and the elephant reluctantly agreed and so the mouse jumped on the elephant's back and the elephant walked across this this bridge and it shook the whole way over and they finally get to the other side and uh, the mouse said oh my god did we ever shake that bridge <laughs> and, and they and they our lawyer said uh, mr arbitrator the elephant is Marcus Naslin and Todd Bertuzzi. <laughs> Brennan Morrison is the mouse. <laughs> wow. Uh, and Brennan Morrison still has a gift from his agent, a portrait of an, a mouse riding on an elephant in his office <laughs> to this day. Well, I, I, I've been through a lot of arbitrations, and I will tell you that that was one of the best ones, in, in terms, not, not in, in terms of just the humor, but the way it was handled. Brennan was great throughout the whole thing. You know, I, I think it was, besides that comedy part, it was it was pretty well done. And they can get to the point where they get personal. Uh, and, you know, that one wasn't. That was a, that was a one that I think worked out well for both sides. Uh, Dave, that's fantastic. Really appreciate it. Really appreciate your insight. We'll talk next week. All right, guys. Take care of yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Dave. That is Canucks, uh, former Canucks general manager Dave Nonis with a fantastic retelling of the Brendan Morrison uh, arbitration story. And, you know, uh, when I was producing uh, with Scott Rintoul here on the station, Morrison would join us every week. Uh, great guy. Fantastic to chat with. And the other story he tells that always stands out to me is that when he was a very young hockey player in New Jersey, he had the temerity to request a trade from Lou Lamorello and the story of him going into Lou's office and saying and sitting down and saying, I would like to be traded. Uh, so he's been through some harrowing situations and come out the other side. And as Dave says there, he has the right mentality for it, Brendan Morrison, to handle it and be just fine with it. Uh, there's a famous story, too, and I won't reveal the player, but there was a player who was called up right before their first NHL game, and they had the exact same rolling bag as Lou Lamorello on a road trip, and the bags got swapped. And so he opens up the bag, and it's Lou Lamorello's slippers on the top, and they're you know embroidered with his initials, and he's just, oh my goodness, <laughs> what do I do? Oh dear. Oh so dear. Good. Uh, more Canucks talk in just a few minutes. But first, something a little different here on the show. We are joined by Daryl Lamb. He's the host of the RTD show that you hear every week here on Sportsnet 650, also of Legacy Liquor Store, joining us for a quick chat. Uh, Daryl, how's it going? Oh, you know what? It's really busy at Legacy. Christmas is in full swing. Everything's going great, guys. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing great, I can imagine. I've made a couple of recent uh, recent stops by Legacy myself. And you know, I'm I'm glad we have you on the show, Daryl, because... So here's the thing with the, the RTD genre of drinks. I think a lot of people probably most associate it with, you know... A cool, refreshing summertime drink. You're at the ball game. You're on your patio, something like that. But as you said, holiday season, the festive season, winter time. What are the RTD drinks that you're going to, and you find customers are going to for this time of year right now? You know, it's really taken off. Is this new thing? It's not RTD now. It's RTS, ready to serve. And what we're seeing now, things like the Casadores Paloma, the Casadores Margarita. The Negroni from Campari and the Aperol Spritz already built for you. So everybody's having house parties. It's a real tough time right now. Not so many people going out to bars and restaurants, so they're doing it at home. And what we're finding from our customers, they don't want to play bartender and watch a great party in their house. Instead, what they're able to do, they're able to buy the Campari Negroni. Five Negronis for $20 made by Campari. Bang them out. Pour them in a glass on the rocks. 
throw in a, nice, uh, a slice of orange, and boom, and the Negroni's done. Hand it to your friends. Get back to your own party. So that's really what we're seeing is people picking up these ready-to-serve, full-flavored, full spirits. These aren't 5% RTDs. These are coming in 20, 30, 40% alcohol. Daryl, you read my mind because when I found out we were having you on the show today, I said to my program director, Cam Bear, that I wanted to ask you specifically about this. I did not know they were called ready to serve, but my wife and I have recently discovered these, fallen in love with specifically the Campari Negroni. I think there's also a maker's mark old fashioned. So I am thrilled yep. to hear that they're doing well. I got to make my pitch. The one I want to see is a ready to serve Manhattan. That's the one that okay, I'm really so in the market for. We have three of them. All right, really let's good. go. Let's All right? go. So there's actually, it's really interesting. Dr. Dom Livermore, the, the mad scientist of Canadian whiskey, will be on the show this weekend, and we'll be talking about his new pre-made Wiser's Manhattan cocktail in a bottle. So you just open it, pour it, and enjoy it. There's also a really cool company called Dash Fire. Coming out of the uh, out of Minnesota, Minneapolis, two hotshot bartenders. They're doing canned cocktails, and they have a barrel aged, big infused Manhattan in a can. It's a triple for eleven bucks. It is phenomenal. I really like that. And then, of course, you got your on the rocks that you were just talking about. There's a Knob Creek Old Fashioned, and we just got in the Effin uh, uh, Vodka Martini. Uh, and it's an espresso martini in a bottle already made. It's amazing what's coming out in this new RTS category. I am absolutely thrilled. This has made my day, Daryl. I am delighted. I'm going to look out for the uh, the Wisers of Manhattan one. I can't wait for it. Anything else you want to highlight? Anything else catching your eye right now around the holiday season? Well, I mean, what's really great is uh, we're going to have uh, the, the icon of uh, Simon Fraser football, Mark Bailey. We're going to be talking about the Shrumble and, you know, commiserate his, his loss. But he's going to be pouring for us the CC45-year-old. So they, every Christmas the last five years, Canadian Club uh, has uh, come out with a really limited edition, the oldest Canadian whiskey in history. And so we're going to be uh, we're going to be talking about that because uh, all the collectors are starting to squirrel it away. This edition is going to be the first one that's not exclusively sold in Canada. The global demand has been so big for the 40 through 44 year old that uh, Beam Centauri is finally going to be releasing a little bit in Europe and a little bit in Japan because they know exactly what a 45 year old Canadian whiskey is all about. It sounds fantastic, Daryl. I look forward to listening. Hopefully we can chat again soon. Have a great holiday season. All right. Talk to you soon, boys. Have a great day. There he is. That is Daryl Lamb from the RTD Show here on Sportsnet 650 and Legacy Liquor Store. Dmitry Filipovich, host of the Hockey PDO cast. He's up next. It's Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. Final segment of the week. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Quick Food Bank Friday update up to over $19,500. That's as of 12.45, so we've had time to pad it a little bit as well. Since then, keep your donations coming in. 3033 Three, so that's three zero triple three. A carrot emoji texted to that number gets you gives a five dollar donation. A banana is a ten dollar donation. 
a heart is a $25 donation. All of the proceeds go to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank, helping individuals and families in need across Vancouver, Burnaby, New West, and the North Shore. Joining us now for the final segment of the week, as he does every Friday, our pal, he's the host of the Hockey PDO cast here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. He is Dmitry Filipovich. Dmitry, what's going on, man? Fellas, it's good to join you. Saving the best for last, right? Yes. Yes. Always. Absolutely. That's 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 basic showmanship, and we prize that, Jamie and I. So, sure. What do you want? Do you know? Hold what on, hold in? on. Before we go any farther, we haven't decided what we're going to draft. That's where I was going. Oh, okay. Well, fair. Okay. Just say what no, you're. No, no, no. Go ahead. It's too. So, late what now. I was going to say, I have a proposal. <laughs> okay. That if we don't come up with anything between now and like the next fifteen minutes, that we do because we did top duos last week, that we do top defense pairings this oh, week. That's my say proposal. The worst duos. No, that would be good, too. That would be good, too. I might need more research time on that. The worst. But that's duos. my backup proposal if we don't come out. Come I, up I like it. I'm down to draft defense pairs. So the defense, the D pair yeah. draft. Yeah, let's do that. All okay. Right. All right. So okay. we're going to draft right. D pairs at the end of this segment. But first, we're going to talk about the Winnipeg Jets. Rick Bonus has them playing well, Dimitri. What's going right for Winnipeg? Yeah, he certainly does. Our old pal, Rick. Hey, um, no, they've been they've been good. I mean, I think he's helped them a lot in terms of, um, you know, installing a level of like professionalism and accountability, especially defensively and off the puck where there's a more, a greater attention to detail than they certainly had um, in previous seasons, but particularly last year where they were just such a mess. I think that's helped. They're, they're due for some regression. Like I think they're overperforming um, their results are exceeding what they're probably deserving in terms of how well they're playing. But here's the thing. They have a bunch of elite finishers, so we should expect them to shoot above their expectation. And they have possibly the best goalie in the league, certainly one of the top two Vesna candidates so far this season in Connor Hellebuck. And so that's a pretty good recipe for as long as you can kind of keep your head above water or tread water at five on five, you should be able to get some pretty good results based on those two, based based on that combination of skill. How impressed are you that they're doing all of this without Nikolai Ehlers? Really impressive because I think he is... I think, I don't know, this is still a controversial take. I think he's their best skater, right? I think most people would think of Kyle Connor and all the goals he scores, Mark Shifley's reputation. But for me, one of the most dynamic players in the league, arguably, aside from, I guess, Connor McDavid, the best neutral zone player in the league in terms of taking the puck from point A to point B and just creates so much for everyone with his speed and playmaking. And so, yeah, not having him has been disappointing from a watchability perspective because I really miss seeing him out there. But the fact that they're still getting these results without him um, it should be really encouraging for them moving forward. Josh Morrissey, one of the standout players for the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Jets this year. You know, it's the offensive production, but I also think there was this kind of the arc of Morrissey's career has been really interesting, right? Going from playing as a young player on a really, really deep blue line to maybe being miscast a little bit as a, a top pairing caliber defenseman and then having something of a breakout season this year. What has gone right for Josh Morrissey in Winnipeg? Yeah, I think it all started last year, actually. Like you mentioned, I think that's such a great point of that career arc where that 2018-19 season, or or I guess it was the year before, 17-18, when they had that loaded blue line with Bufflin um, and Truba and Morrissey and Myers, and and they were just so deep. It was a much easier situation for him to not necessarily have too much responsibility. And he was playing with Jacob Truba, and, and they were managing those minutes nicely. Those guys all leave. He gets rewarded with a massive contract and, and he really struggled for a couple of years there we saw that turnaround starting with last year where his five on five numbers improved significantly this year they're they're actually not quite as good but 
he's playing such a big role and he's scoring at such a high level that he's finally started to get the attention for it. And so, yeah, no, he's been, he's been really good. I, I, I similar with the rest of the team, I'd expect some regression. It, he's not going to keep scoring at a 90 plus point pace the way he is so far. I think he's been a bit, a bit clearly a bit fortunate to do that, but his previous career high heading into the season was 37 points, I believe. So he's clearly going to smash that. And, um, and yeah, it's a great, it's a great story. And he's come a long way from being considered one of the worst contracts in the league to actually being a top pair defenseman for them this season. What should Canucks fans be aware of in terms of how Vancouver matches up with Winnipeg? Where is Winnipeg poised to give them the biggest issues? Well, I think they get a lot of credit for like kind of, you know, playing physically or having a bunch of big players that can really be difficult to deal with. But I think what could pose a real issue for this Canucks team is just how quickly they can they can kind of flip the ice and score off the counter, right? Like you can be playing well for a couple of shifts. You could feel like you're doing a good job territorially. You feel like you're boxing them in and, you know, you're in a good spot. And then all of a sudden Kyle Connor just springs out of nowhere and scores a goal off the rush. And within a matter of seconds, you're, you're down all of a sudden and have nothing to show for the past few shifts. And so that kind of quick strike attack that they have, especially with their top six is something to watch for and definitely something to fear because those guys can turn nothing into something so quickly that that could pose this Canucks blue line with a lot of challenges. Next week, the Canucks play the St. Louis Blues. And, you know, we talk about the up-and-down roller coaster nature of the Vancouver Canucks. The St. Louis Blues have been going through that as well in a big way with big losing streaks, big winning streaks. You know, I still look and see a lot of talent on that roster. Yes, some very obvious flaws, but I, I would expect them to be better, at least ter- in terms of points percentage going forward, than they have been this year. What's your overall read on St. Louis, Dimitri? Yeah, I mean... Other than maybe the, the Anaheim Ducks, and that was that they're kind of in their own category. I think they've been hey, the most disappointing. Regulation win, regulation win last night, baby, for our Anaheim yeah, Ducks. Up to two, they doubled it. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> and their Nicely first and think, their and, first clear victory. That's like right. it's their first victory yeah. by more than a goal, not counting empty netters. So, congrats to the Ducks. Progress and oh, and both of those. I mean, the Eastern Conference has been superior to the West this season, but both of those wins have also come against Eastern Conference teams. So they're still looking for a. They're still looking for a team again, a win against the West. But no, Yikes. let's stick with the Blues here. So I think the big story here is last year, they were third in scoring in the entire league. Only the Panthers and the Leafs scored more than them. They were first in shooting percentage. I was a believer in that not being a, a, a pure one-year aberration and just you know luck-fueled. I, I thought the way they moved the puck in the offensive zone was... Um, was really brilliant. Like they were looking for, they were passing up point shots for all of these great give and goes and one timer sequences and getting so many easy tap ins for their players. And everyone on their team pretty much had a career high offensively. And it was beautiful to watch. And I was like, all right, I think they've stumbled upon something here. I'm looking forward to seeing it again. And they're down a 20th in shooting percentage. They're down a 23rd in scoring. And so they've essentially just completely regressed back to what you would have expected if you were just purely looking at the numbers. And so it's a tough beat for me as a, uh, a watch the games guy, and it's a it's a big win for for analytics. I think. <laughs> Are you capitulating on the Blues? <laughs> I'm unfortunately. I, I think I have to capitulate. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm worried about them, and it's it's a shame. Maybe I maybe I. I I discounted how much they'd miss David Perron because they have a lot of like really nice passers, but he was one of the few guys that was kind of was a very willing trigger man and was capitalizing on a lot of those. And so losing him and not really replacing those minutes has hurt them. But I certainly expect them to be better than they have been so far this year. 
like it it's 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 been a disappointment because they haven't been nearly as fun to watch either and i think that's the that's the big loss for us here is it kind of a spider-man meme matchup for the vancouver canucks like two teams that you know quite alike in in dignity and form and in the way that they go about winning games yeah and i think the blue is also another team who i i I don't have their cap friendly page in front of me but has devoted pretty significant resources to their blue line and have nothing to really show for it like their defending is is really bad and they've overpaid for a lot of the players they have there and so yeah, they're they're kind of like an offense first team. Uh, Jordan Bennington makes it very easy for us to dunk on him, and uh, it, it can be a mess certainly. Um, but the, the the team in front of him just ultimately kind of leaves him out to dry as well in a lot of these cases. So yeah, I, I think that's a very good comp. And honestly, like I would love to see a, a return of last year's Blues in this game and to see a fun back and forth like six five game. I, I I would certainly sign up for that. Bo Horvat. Bo Horvat's going to have a big game against Jordan Bennington. You heard it here first. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, is that a Bo Horvat showcase? I know, I know, Drance, you're all about the uh, the Bo Horvat to the Blues. Well, I just think Doug Armstrong, it just makes sense to me, particularly given that Ryan O'Reilly's expiring, right? And that right. the Blues are a team that is not, you know, regardless of how the season goes, right? They might sell even, but they're not going to be in it to not be good for next year, right? Like, they're going to be aggressive in improving quickly and but Horvat's really good. Is Ryan O'Reilly? I don't want to say washed, but I mean, what's what's going on with Ryan O'Reilly when you yeah. watch him, Dimitri? Yeah, I mean, he's he not that he was ever the the fleetest of sure. to begin with. I think he's he's lost a step in terms of in terms of raw speed. Now he's he's so smart that he's I think he's going to be able to compensate for that in the years to come like I don't think this is all of a sudden some sort of a drastic decline and he's just completely fallen off the percentages have certainly worked against him I think he's been pretty unlucky to have the results that he has so far and so I think he'll he'll be better like I I, if I was a contender in the blues let's say their season keeps going this way and they decide to to pull the plug and sell and and kind of look ahead to the future and see what they can get for him if you could get him at a discount price because of it like I would be all over that if I was a if I was a contender so I still believe that that he's got some really productive hockey left in front of him and and i think he's just been a bit unlucky so far seattle kraken let's talk about the seattle kraken uh they're the new blues are they gonna regress or are they uh are they just converting efficiently and using their speed i don't know do i do i have any credibility <laughs> if i say I, I i think they're they're onto something here because that's exactly what i was saying with the blues last year so who knows but i think for the rest of this year like it certainly seems like they've stumbled upon something here right like they've made a concerted effort to add shooters add guys who could you know, consistently beat goalies with their shot, and their shots are a real weapon. They added another one of those guys in Ely Tolvin and off waivers this past week, and so I like what they're doing in that regard. They, they, not that it took a rocket scientist to realize that a big issue for them last year was they didn't have enough of that, but they clearly identified that. They went about in acquiring these guys throughout the offseason. They're continuing to do so now, and based on the way they're playing and the talent they have now, like I, I think they're more real than not, especially in terms of like their offensive ability to, to create some of these shots and, and turn them into goals. Is that a team, do you think it would make sense for them to explore even adding more um, on mm-hmm. offense around the deadline? Or is it still just, you know, they, hey, they're having a nice season, but keep your powder dry and, and keep building for the future with all your picks and, and young players? Yeah, I mean, well, listen, it's, on the one hand, it's like a very exciting story. And I think after how disappointing they were in their inaugural season, the fact that they're providing this type of excitement now, like I think it's very easy to latch onto that as a story. And and they they would probably feel 
especially incentivized to reward their fans for for what they went through last year and 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 kind of trying to build on this and build positive momentum. I think just considering the fact that they don't have that much in terms of draft capital and in terms of uh, a farm system based on the fact that they just started last year, I would still slow play this and bring it along slowly. And if you can add on the margins and add a score here or there into the middle six, I'd go for that. But I, I wouldn't be necessarily pushing all my chips in by any means because I think there's still a lot of work to, to do regardless of like how fun of a story this has been. Is Maddie Beneers winning Rookie of the Year in your view? Yeah, I, this is a tough one for me. My 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 pick is Owen Power. I do not expect him to win the Calder Trophy though because he doesn't have nearly enough points, and people are just gen- I think generally going to sort by goals and assists and see Maddie Beneers is scoring and and he's going to win it. And listen, like his play off the puck, his forechecking, his his how Swagger, hard he yeah. it's like how annoying he is to play with, uh, play against all of that like totally passes it. So I'm not suggesting by any means that, you know, his scoring is he's just a one trick pony or it's, you know, empty calories. Like that's not it at all. I just, I'm so in love with what Owen power has done this season and how he's, what he's accomplished in the role he's played for Buffalo. So like I'm biased in that regard, but I think, I think Baneers is going to be a runaway uh, by season's end based on the way he's, he's producing so far. The Kraken and the Canucks have played once this year. The Kraken have never defeated the Canucks in a regulation game uh, at any right. point. Um, but, I mean, it feels like the way they're playing in their speed up front is probably, of the teams we've discussed so far, the toughest matchup for Vancouver. Um, do you agree with that? What, what, what about the matchup do you expect to stand out when the two sides meet on the 22nd? Yeah, I mean, they play very fast. Like pretty much anyone they put out there, regardless of their forward uh, forward lines or their defense pairs, is going to be able to play at a certain pace, and and that can be challenging for a team like the Canucks that not only doesn't have that kind of depth, but also doesn't have the the foot speed to necessarily match up with it. So it's a tricky matchup. But uh, as you said, we haven't necessarily seen that. Um, you know, they, they played early on this season and. They gave up a bunch of goals, and with their goaltending, even though it's exceeded expectations, they're still capable of having these blow-up games where they just give up a bunch of goals on a few shots, and it doesn't matter. And so that's certainly in play here as well, and they don't want to rule that out. But you would think, based on that foot speed and the depth, that that it would be a tricky matchup for the Canucks. Really quickly, uh, just to let you know, Matty Beneers, plus 175 to win the Calder. He's far and away the favorite. Owen Power, plus... Who's second. Hmm? Yeah. yeah. Who's second on the list? Logan Thompson, plus 650. Owen Power oh, way on. back at plus 2,500. So Woo! if you're an Owen Power believer, those are spicy, spicy odds. Yeah, but he's not going to he's not gonna score enough. And I still think just because of how good the Atlantic division is, it's going to be tough for the Sabres. Even though they've been playing really well lately and winning a lot of games, it's going to be tough for them to sneak into the playoffs there. No so, question. With the Kraken's team success, with Baneers' counting stats, I, I think it's just going to be too much to overcome. Fair enough. Final, final team before we get to our draft. It's uh, the last game for the Canucks next week will be Edmonton before their holiday break. Mm. Is there anything that really distinguishes this version of the Oilers in your eyes from the version that we've become very accustomed to in recent seasons, Dimitri? Um, not really. I mean, if Jack <laughs> Campbell's in it, possibly worse goaltending. <laughs> definitely, uh, definitely no. worse than what Oof. Mike Smith gave. Oof. No, Mike yeah, Smith was really top. good. Yeah. Mike Smith was no. really good. Whoa. Okay, let's relax, Tom. Hey, Mike Smith was a lot better than what they've got this year. 
It's true. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not yeah. a, like those, don't, are, those are two different standards. Don't cast don't cast there. me yes. as the Mike Smith defender. He was legitimately good for them last year. He had his moments. For, he was for good. both teams. I'll say that. Yeah, for um, both teams. Well, that's Mike Smith. Yeah, it was a roller coaster ride. But I think the the highs have certainly exceeded anything Jack Campbell's done this season. I think the Oilers would take that at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, they have the best power play we've seen since 2007, as far back as the database goes. Like, there's averaging I think 13 goals per 60 or something on the man advantage. So in that sense, it's very, it's kind of like a continuation of what we've come to expect. The 5-on-5 scoring has been weirdly not there, even when McDavid and Dreisaitl have been on the ice. So I think that's kind of been a bit of a strange development for me. I'm not sure if Dreisaitl's fully healthy, even though he's he's scoring a ton anyways, and McDavid's the best player in the world, so you kind of know what you're going to expect from there. But yeah, I think as long as you can stay out of the box, like you have a decent enough chance, especially if Jack Campbell's going to be a net. Um, but if you start going down a man like they're gonna burn you immediately so that's i that's i guess kind of the key matchup to watch and that's pretty much been the case for the past handful of years all right we're doing our draft top defense pairs yeah, let's do it we're in the league defense. dimitri i think it's uh i think it's your turn to go first no, and... I, no i'll go i'll go third you want to go third go, you're gonna defer yeah, i want to see third. what you guys do i want to get the value dropping down the board you're going first <laughs> all right i'll go first i mean i feel like this is a this is a layup yeah it's, it's kel mccarr and devon tips I think, like, come is, on. I think that is. There's no. There's no. I'm not galaxy braining it. I'm taking Kale McCarr and Devon Tips. Oh boy. Okay. What's our? Okay. Wait. Wait. Before we continue here, that's obviously the first pick. Tom, before you pick second, though. Yeah. What's our criteria here in terms of? Wait. We're setting criteria for these be... drafts now. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no. I'm. I'm just saying in terms of like, do they have to be like full time partners, or do we have to have seen them for a certain amount of time? Like, what, what are we, are we, let's go, let's go, let's go 50 minutes. If we go 50 minutes, no, that's too, that's small. too little. Okay. Let's go let's 100, 100, 105 on five minutes this season. How yeah. Okay. 105 on five minutes gives us uh 130 pairs. So that's a fair bit of uh that's a, a lot. To okay. Do you want to go from. 200 minutes? Yeah. Okay. 200 minutes. I mean, I'm just trying to make it easier on you here. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Especially because the first pick was so easy, right? It everything, was. Hey, everything. I tried. I tried to donate the first pick, man. I did my. I did my part. You did. Yeah. Everything thereafter is uh, is relatively straightforward. Um, all right. So two hundred minutes. We're picking between fifty four different pairs. I'm going to take. Man, I don't like any of these. There we have it. There's one good defensive pairing in the NHL. I mean, that's not untrue. I just want to make sure I get like a real star, at least as like one of them. Like, I don't want to take Jacob Slavin second, you know? So you fumbled fumbled the draft last week so badly. He did. I think you need to make amends here. That's what I'm saying. So thank you. No, I've got my, I've got, it's in, it's in. Final answer. I'm going to take, I'm going to take. I'm going to take Miro, Haskinen, and Colin Miller. Okay. Yeah. There are. There, you're right. There are two distinct approaches to this. I, need, a lot I, of, need, I want. I want Haskinen. A lot of the top defensemen don't play with other high-profile guys. I want yes. Haskinen. Anyways, yeah. go go ahead, Dimitri. Back-to-back picks for you here. Oh. Oh well. This is this becomes easy for me then. Okay. The third overall pick in this draft is going to be Dougie Hamilton and Jonas Siegenbauer sure. for me. Sure. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um, because I like the combination of offense and defense there, and I feel like I can use those guys regardless of game state or what I need. Not, I don't know why I'm explaining myself to you guys here. I, th- I think I ah. goes without saying. Well, we appreciate um, it. 
<laughs> I'm like justifying it in my own head. I'm like, this is the right pick, right? Um, I'll go Jacob Slavin and Brent Burns after. Yeah, I think and, that's the right uh, pick. That was I what I was I'm agonizing about. Offended by what Tom just said about feeling like he can't take Slavin second. Yeah, they were they were high up on my board as well. I'm going. I'm going for with the fourth pick. I'm going to take um, Drew Doughty and my guy Mikey Anderson. Oh, nice. That yeah. is brutal, brutal to take when I can just swoop in and take Adam Fox and Ryan. Ryan oh, yeah. Ryan no, you're welcome to them. Ooh, no, I will take that oh, yeah. every day of the week. I truly have no idea. Truly have no idea who to pick with this last one. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Have Rasmus Dahlin and Samuelson played enough to together to no to qualify for this? Nope. Oof. Oof. Mm. Okay, I'll go with um, I'll go with Aaron Ekblad and Gustav Forsling just because of Ekblad, nice. but I don't feel that confident about that pick. I I have I, I I'm picking between my two of my guys, and I think I'm going to go with Faravari and Jensen. Faravari <laughs> and Jensen. All right. Wow. Atrocious. Atrocious. Fifty first out of fifty four qualified pairings in expected goal share. Luke Shen and Quinn Hughes. Nice. I, you know what? I think that's a really good last pick because you get Hughes out of it. All right. Oh no! No! Wait! 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 That's not. Wait! That wasn't my pick. Don't you? Don't you guys there? Oh. Okay, we got to wrap up uh, quick here, though, Dimitri. Okay. okay, my pick is Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. That's Very a good. good. That's a good third. Good pick. that they got off the board. All right, that's gonna do it yeah. for us. Quick update. Really quick update. Somebody just donated five thousand dollars to Food Bank Friday, so we're up to over twenty-four thousand dollars right now. If you want to get in on that generosity, you can text to 30333, a carrot for $5, a banana for $10, a heart for $25. We'll be back on Monday. You've got it on Sportsnet 650.